Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 213 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a software developer at Del Mar Software Development. He is also co-host of the Development Help podcast, and he is currently raising mental health awareness in the tech community with his open sourcing mental illness speaking campaign. So welcome to the podcast, Ed Finkler. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, Ed, could you tell us a little bit about the Open Sourcing Mental Illness campaign? Well, it started several years ago where I uh, was speaking in 2011, 2012, where I was had spoken some on the podcast that I do with my friend uh, Chris Harchis. I uh, talked some about some of the mental health issues that I've dealt with in my life. And... We got really, really strong feedback from it, really, really positive, you know, much more response than we had gotten on any other issue, technical, non-technical, whatever. From that, I decided eventually that I should maybe start proposing, giving talks about these kinds of issues at tech conferences. And so that started a thing where I, I ended up giving you know, 60 or 70 different talks over about a five-year period about mental health uh, in the tech industry. And so talking about my experiences and then other things that I was able to sort of discover and find out um, from doing things like conducting surveys and that kind of thing. And then a couple of years ago, we started a nonprofit based in the US called Open Sourcing Mental Illness. Um, and it's at osmihelp.org. And so now it's not just me. And in fact, there's plenty of people who do as much or more than I do. I've actually stepped back uh, a bit and haven't been doing much speaking lately in the past couple of years, but we still have lots of people speaking about mental health at tech conferences. Uh, we also do an annual survey. We do a number of different things like produce materials for uh, employers and employees to help uh, with mental health issues in the workplace and do a number of different things like that to try to raise awareness and promote sort of educated thinking about these kinds of issues in that tech workplace. So it's gone from really just an, me kind of talking off the cuff at a, in a podcast to a, uh, a an all volunteer, but you know, a, a dozen or so probably core people who, who all contribute their time to uh, make things happen. And in terms of the feedback you get, what sort of sort of response do you tend to get from a sort of an open conference speech or talk? Is it quite positive? Yeah, I've, I've only gotten a couple negative responses, you know, over, over a five year period, which is pretty good for any, (laughs) any sort of conference talk or anything like that. Generally, it's been very positive. I think people appreciate talking about these kinds of issues I think people, for the most part, feel that that it is something that a lot of people deal with, a, a fairly high percentage of the general population deal with it in some way. And so as a, as a consequence that are, you know, speaking openly about it and sort of how it affects us within this 
industry and in, within sort of uh, tech and open source communities, you know, generally it's been very positive. Every once in a while I've heard a thing like, well, does that really belong in this kind of a conference? But that's really small. I mean, I, I would get, a, you get a lot more complaints about the food or like having a talk <laughs> during lunch or something. Right. I mean, or so it really surprisingly positive. So that's been nice. Uh, I, I'm not a, not a fan of conflict by any means. So it's been really positive. It's been really positive. Yeah. And it seems like it helps people a lot to talk about these things openly. So that's, that's the response I've gotten. I suppose that's, that's the thing about it, isn't it? There, there, there's some sort of stigmatism about, or if that's the right word, about mental health and the, and the ability to share the fact that there are these issues within our industry. It's hard to make statements about you know this industry in particular as a whole, or whether we have particular issues that other other groups of people and any kind of grouping, uh, however you want to put, may or may not have. Uh, but it's definitely this is a job compared to a lot of different jobs that the way that you think and the way that you sort of feel emotionally and things like that that has a great deal of impact on on practical things like your productivity and your ability to do this kind of work. It's not a job where sometimes it's nice where I can, I'm really stressed out and I can step outside and I'm not a, not a big outside uh, work person. Generally, I, my, my lawn is unkempt, unfortunately, but, um, I would say in general, uh, you know, there's certain kinds of work I can do. Like if I'm loading or unloading the dishwasher or taking the trash out, that's kind of a mental break for me, you know, and there's some things that are more physical or maybe sort of more rote, but this kind of stuff, a lot of times if it's, you know, if you're really having trouble with stuff, if, if, uh, you're having issues with anxiety or depression or things like that, it's really, maybe it's more impactful on folks who do most of the work with their mind than some others. And so it, you know, it, you know, that's not to say that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't affect everybody uh, a great deal, but, but what I do find is that I, I think that there are certain things about this kind of work that make some kinds of mental health issues particularly important and particularly striking, I guess I would say, yeah, just the, the th issues of focus issues of, of being able to think things through, you know, properly, uh, you know, things like that. So there's, there's practical reasons there are people who are, and just in general, people who are physically and mentally healthy are going to probably, are, are definitely going to do better work for a company than, than people who aren't. And there's lots of things to go down the list about that in terms of things like, you know, why people say aren't in the office or things like that, like absence, absenteeism or things like that. And that, that there's a high rate of absenteeism for mental health issues. But if the workplace isn't supportive of those things, it either kind of goes unreported or, or not dealt with. So that's, that's part of the work that we do is to try to help with those, those workplaces understand why those things are important. So Ed, can you perhaps tell us a career tip that the audience may not know and perhaps should? I've thought a lot about this because I've been a, a web developer. Um, I mean, I guess nowadays I call myself a software developer, but really I still mostly work in web stuff, right? Web technologies and a lot of maybe most software is delivered over the web nowadays, it seems like, uh, or at least interacts with things over the web. So I've been doing this for a long time, over 
over 20 and I'm getting close to 25 years. So it's been a while, <laughs> right? Uh, yep. So I've had a lot of time to think about, about that stuff. I think the thing that strikes me the most is that there are a number of things, a lot of things that impact how successful a person can be as a developer. And also sort of the way we measure success, I think has a lot to do with that too. But what I'd say is the things that I feel make for the the people who are best in their jobs as developers, which, uh, you know, so I can really speak to that. I haven't done a lot of management. I haven't done a lot of other things. And there's certainly other roles in any kind of organization. Uh, but as a developer, the things that I think are most important to me that make the most impact are typically not technical skills. I think that we have a tendency to uh, focus on technical skills. That's the kind of training we do. That's the kind of, you know, we typically have lots of training materials uh, that people produce uh, about learning new technologies, how to do things with certain kinds of stacks, stuff like that. And that's an easy thing to kind of teach because it's fairly measurable, right? And it's fairly easy to sort of put that together and it, you can kind of, you know, it, teaching isn't easy, but it's relatively easy compared to what I was going to say was that non-technical things, and sometimes people call these things soft skills, which I think is an unfortunate name because I think there's a certain implication that they are less important, but they are a little bit slippery and sometimes hard to define. But th those things, I think, your ability to say how you communicate with people, how you interact with people, the kind of team member you are, the kind of empathy you can have for a client or a customer or other people on your team or your manager or what have you, all of those things I have found have had much more impact on my success. And I think the success of the people that I've seen in this industry, far more than technical skills. Now, I won't discount it in the sense that you it is important to be an experienced developer. <laughs> you know, that helps every bit of experience you get helps and you make better decisions based on the experience you have. So you have to have a, a certain level of technical competence for sure. Right. You know, otherwise you can't do the work. Right. But your ability to think about things, your ability to not sort of, and I would say not get caught up in, um, to try to simplify problems, to try to find the simplest solutions for things that are going to deliver the most value, uh, your ability to communicate that with people, especially people who maybe aren't technical, don't work necessarily in our industry, but we uh, most of the time make software for people like that. Uh, our ability to communicate, interact with, and empathize with, with everybody around us those things, I think, have a much greater impact on our on how successful we are. And it, when I'm measuring success, I'm not saying like, well, you're definitely going to be the person who makes the most money or you're going to end up doing this or that. I, I That's not how I measure it. But what I measure it is in, in sort of satisfaction and your ability to deliver value to the people who you work with and for and those kinds of things. And I have found that those things by far make the biggest difference. Ed, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? 
I've had a few and I've had some tough stuff uh, happen and I've had some really good things happen too. I think there's things that you can, I can gather from a, a lot of different things that have happened, but I would say the most difficult thing I had, well, I think a lot of people would say something like this, but it was being let go from a position that I felt like I was doing a good job in and I knew I was trying hard, but it was a, it was a startup and it was a small startup. And the founder who was also one of the only two or three people who was in the, in the company, uh, not including things, people who are like on the board or, or funders or things like that. Well, he felt like he had to make a hard decision and to go in a different direction and it, where that company was going. So I was uh, nominally, I guess, in, in title and in practice, but there were only a couple of us there. I was the CTO of the company at the time. And being let go from that job was really hard, really, really hard. And I haven't, I, that hasn't happened to me a lot, uh, but a couple of times, but this was probably the hardest. And I think the thing that was difficult about it was that it started a, a time in my life where I had some things that were related to my job or sort of related to my career. And then some things that were not, that were going on that weren't related to my career, but some things going on in my my life and my families that were really difficult. So that sort of started me on a path, a sort of a downward path of a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of feeling like I didn't know what I was doing. And I really hit rock bottom. I guess it would have been in late 2017. And I had taken another job, but ended up, I went there and worked there for about a week, but ended up having to, to quit. And I actually went and got treatment for depression and anxiety for a few days. And then, then, so then did outpatient treatment after that. I think that was one of the hardest periods where it really bottomed out for me. Yeah. And that was really challenging. That hit a place where I had to, because of everything that was going on in my life, everything that had been going on around me and where I was, where I was, I was decidedly not healthy. I was in a really, really, really bad spot. And I had to stop everything. I had to stop working on OSMI, on open source mental illness. I had to pause my career. I had to pause everything and stop and take care of myself. Now, I am aware of how lucky I am in that I was able to stop and pause and take at least a few weeks to do that. And there are many people who can't do that. And that is very unfortunate, but I was not well <laughs> and I needed to. So that's what I did. And what I learned from that was through a process of about a year, we're starting in late 2017, where I started at Del Mar and up until about a year later, I went into Del Mar and even though I had been a successful and you know did relatively well software developer, mostly web stuff for 20 years, I went in feeling like I did not know a single thing about it. You know, I, some people, you know, I'm sure it's a common thing to talk about is imposter syndrome. And I had, boy, a, a terrible case of it. I was terrified 
of going in there because I felt like I did not know how to do anything. I just felt like I just wasn't capable of it anymore. And the only things that I could do on a daily basis were go to work and come home and go to bed. And that was my routine. Go home to work, come home, go to bed. I was in bed at like 7 p.m., right? And I would wake up at like 6 after, you know, my, my sleep schedule was completely messed up. It was a matter of recovering from this really, really deep trauma that I had of anxiety and depression. And, and the thing that I think was really special about that was I ended up where I think it was at the right place, a place that took time and said, hey, we know that you're capable of this and it's going to be okay and we'll take the time. And they knew I was scared and they knew I was freaked out and upset and that the most I could do was just come in every day and do the work I could and then forget about it for the next few hours and then come back in the next day and do that. And very, very, very gradually, I started to get my confidence back because I sort of showed myself I can do this. I can write this kind of an application, even though I've never, I've never, you know, messed with it before. I could write in this language, even though I haven't touched that before. And I guess I had to teach myself again what I was capable of because I felt like I wasn't capable of anything anymore. I mean, really, I felt like I was not a competent developer anymore, even though I'd been doing it that long. And so I had to relearn how to do that. And it took about a year. And it took about a year. And that was the hardest time in my career by far. Sure. And it was probably the hardest time I've had in my adult life. But I got through it. And is it exactly the same? Am I exactly the same person I was before? No, I'm not. And there are certain things that I am much more careful about. There's still things that I'm not nearly as active in in the organization open sourcing mental illness that I, I was, I was very, very active and that was a huge part of my life. And now it is a relatively small part of my life, but still part of it. I'm still on the board um, and I still sort of advise on things, but I don't, I don't do a lot of day-to-day stuff. Yeah. I do what I can. And I'm very, very aware that I have to know what my limits are. But I, like I said, I taught myself again, what I was capable of and have that confidence again, where I feel like it used to be, you know, when I first started at Del Mar, like late 2017, they would say, Hey, what, how do you feel about doing something like this? And I would say, I don't, I really have feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, look, I'm not going to tell you that I'm not going to do it, but I feel scared that I don't understand yeah. this. And I was really scared. I mean, like a fight or flight response, heavy duty, like almost all the time. And now I can say, oh, I've never done that before, but I'll probably be okay because you know what? I did this project and this project and this project and this project, and I was able to do it. You know, there's a lot of places that I've worked that maybe wouldn't have been as supportive and maybe wouldn't have said, Hey, well, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. We'll, 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 we'll work around things for you and try to get you there. And just knowing that that was the case really made a difference. And so there's, there's several places I've been where they might not have been quite as accommodating and as understanding. And I'm really glad I ended up where I was. I think that helped a lot, but I think I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I kind of pulled myself back 
from a place that was really, really hard and really, really dark. That was by far the hardest time. Um, but I came back from it. It was just a matter of time, but it took, like I said, it took me a year at least to get back to where I felt like I was kind of competent <laughs> and felt kind of confident uh, in what I was doing. Sure. I mean, you t- you use the word confidence in particular quite a few times when you described it. To me, yes, it's, it's more about confidence than than imposter syndrome, for example. That tends to be where you don't know and you're, you're coming in something very new, but you've been there before. It's something you you knew how to do, you just didn't have the confidence. Right at that point in time and that's something you had to rebuild over time so yeah it it sounds to me more about confidence than imposter syndrome i definitely was encountering some tech they worked and with some technologies i was less familiar with but they it was very much the case that they would say look you know what you're doing you've demonstrated that for a couple decades here you know you know how to do this stuff it'll be okay you'll figure this out And I just had to teach myself that that was the case. I had to remind myself that that was the case. And then eventually you get to a point where it's like, yeah, I can do this. I mean, it might take me some time, (laughs) right? If it's totally new to me, but I also, I think there's a trust that you build and there's a trust that you build with the people that you work with, hopefully, where you trust that they are going to work with you and give you the time to figure things out and you trust them to be supportive and understanding and that when they ask you to do X, Y, or Z, that that's sort that we all have that understanding of what the needs are and, and things like that. And if you don't have that trust in, in the organization and the people that you work with, it's really hard. It's really hard to have what I would say would be a meaningful and productive workplace and relationship with the people that you do things with. So moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? Oh, boy. You know, the funny thing is, is that I've had, you know, I look back at some things that have gone really well. And I look back at some things that haven't gone really well. And I always, I'm not sure I'd say any of them was like, well, that was really, that was really great because I, but you know, I'd say some things that I felt like I accomplished that were really good. And I think that there are some things that I felt like at the time were really cool. And then they did, maybe they didn't last. I don't know. And so maybe I, I don't, I don't have the right perspective on those kinds of things to some extent, but I'd say there's, there's two things. I mean, the first thing I'd say is to be honest, my career highlight sounds really silly, but it's relearning that confidence that I talked about because I thought it was gone. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And that impacted no one else. It wasn't something I built and it wasn't something that like hundreds of thousands or millions of people use. That was the thing that, that I think is to me the most personally satisfying thing that I've done in in this work. Uh, And it really only had to do with me. Right. So when you talk about how you measure success and the things that you do, I think that that's, that's something that it can vary. Right. But that's the thing I'm proudest of. I think what I would say probably was the most, probably the most, the biggest accomplishment that I would say was sort of a, like a more visible thing or a thing that was more impactful. It was absolutely the speaking campaign and founding open sourcing mental illness, because I really do think it's changed a, a lot of people's lives. I, as many as it could know, we, that's why we keep doing it. And there's, it, there's, 
many, 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 many more people out there who, who we need to, to try to talk to and to hear the kinds of things that we're saying and that other folks are saying too. But I would say the thing that was, that was most special was that. And the thing about it was that it was, it was for me personally important to me. And I had a special motivation because of that. And I think that's what drove me to keep saying, maybe I can do X or Y, and maybe I can do these things. Like maybe we could do a thing where we create a handbook for employers, you know, to learn about how to have a, a supportive workplace. And I was just driven to do that stuff. And, and the drive for me doesn't come from things like, well, I accomplished this. I built this system that a million people use and, I'm making a certain amount of money from it and that's really great and all that. I don't know. I just don't, that's not a big deal to me. It, it, it is to a lot of people and that's cool. That's however you measure success. That's fine. I measure it differently. But to me, it was the thing that, you know, making a significant impact in people's lives that, that can maybe change their thinking and impact them in a positive way. And by far the biggest thing that I've done ever for that has been open sourcing mental illness. And that is why I kept talking for so long. That's why I kept working at it. That's why I'm so glad that even when I had to step back and really not be you know nearly as involved as I was before, I'm so glad it's still there because other people saw that value too. And they stepped up and they helped it be a thing when I couldn't be there for it. And so I've come back, but there was a good year where I couldn't do a thing with it. I just said, I can't, I can't. And, and other people stepped up and, uh, and people like Joe Ferguson, who's sort of really a co-founder of it and, and has, is a member, a board member. I think it's just, it's really notable that to me, that is so clearly more important than anything else I ever did that that's really, really significant. So I sort of have a thing that I guess is, you know, a personal high highlight and a thing that I think I'm most proud of. Um, and then I have a thing that it's like, well, what do I think is the best thing that I sort of built and has had an impact outside of me? And I would say that was Osme. So, uh, those two things I think were the most significant ones. So, Ed, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? I, I think it's the opportunity to be a really grumpy, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of not, uh, party pooper about about new technologies and new things. <laughs> more and more, I find myself playing that role. And I suppose, I think that's just something that comes with experience. When you've been doing things a while, you start to see certain patterns and one of the things that I think, so gosh, I'm not sure I'm answering the question you asked because the question is what I'm excited about. Yeah. What I hope, <laughs> what I hope happens is that people start shifting away from, as a web developer, shifting away from what can I do and more and things uh, about making things possible and instead focusing on particularly tools for developers I'm thinking of and languages and stacks and stuff like that, making things easier and more straightforward for developers, you know, out of everything else, I'm a web developer. 
all my whole career is based on the web. I started building websites like in 1996, and that is how I know how to do anything. You know, I taught myself how to do HTML and I did, I was doing graphic design on the computer because I did like fanzines and stuff like that about music and video games and junk like that. So that's, this was like mid nineties. I was doing this stuff and, and the web was sort of an extension of that. It was another way for me to build these kinds of things. And there was a lot, it was exciting in a lot of ways to start, you know, reaching out to people and things like that. But it was all self-taught and it was all stuff where I was able to, you know, I remember we were talking about this on Twitter the other day and it was like, what happened to the view source crowd? The people who, you know, they they teach themselves web development by looking at the source code for a web page. Yeah. And that is next to impossible now. And when I try to think about why that's the case, I think that's because we've been very focused on, well, what if we could do this and solving this problem or that problem? Fundamentally, I think that complexity is the enemy. (laughs) I think that the more complex systems are, the harder they are to build and the harder they are to maintain and the easier it is to make mistakes. I think that is a fundamental truth. So the more complex things are, the more things are likely to screw up. Yep. And it's just harder to learn them. Okay. I fundamentally think that the stacks that we deal with on the web, and I will single out particularly the front end stacks that we deal with, have gone from being relatively very straightforward to being incredibly complex And it is not clear to me that this has done either of these things, those things being making developers' lives easier and more straightforward and making them more productive, or two, making the lives of users easier and more productive. I don't think it's done either of those things. So if that's the case, and it's a more complex system, which it by any measure is a more complex system. They are more complex systems. There is harder to set up sort of the, you know, start building web pages. It is now the way that the boilerplate that you have for that is now megabytes of code of text, you know, that's, that's interpreted code and downloading dozens and dozens of packages for package systems and stuff like that. And it used to be, I create a text file and I write some things into that text file and then I look at it in the browser and that was web development at, at its root. You could do things like that. Yeah. And I think that that's a real problem. And I fundamentally don't think that we've actually solved problems with this. I think what we've done is we've made things more complex. And sometimes when you have space to fill, you end up filling it with stuff that isn't actually what you need. You just end up filling space. And then you're focused on how do we get more space because we filled it all up, but you don't really have to do that, right? It, has it really made anybody's life better or easier? And I, I'm, I'm really not convinced that it has. It's made it a little different. <laughs> it's made developers' lives different, uh, but I don't think it's made it easier or less complex or less error prone. And ultimately, I think at the end of the day, when we're talking about has it made users' lives better or easier, I don't think so. I really don't think so. So 
what I'm excited about is my hope that my curmudgeonly uh, complaints about these kinds of things don't completely fall on deaf ears because there is a great deal of value in simplicity and there's really nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's very, very useful. So I think that that is the thing I'm most excited about is seeing hopefully a turn towards that. And I see little things here and there that get me a little more excited. Yeah. But it's sometimes it's hard to find them. Sure. At the end of the day, I think it's I think there there's mostly good things happening, but that's a particular pain point for me. Yeah. I'll tell you real quickly, one thing I am excited about is the fact that Microsoft is has completely about faced. <laughs> you know, being a self-taught developer, I relied on community resources for uh, things and community resources were mostly built in open source stacks. So I learned how to do PHP development and I learned how to do that because uh, the community built things for itself, right? And that's kind of just the nature of it. Uh, I think that's one of the most exciting things as a developer is to see Microsoft embrace a diversity of operating systems and stacks and deployments and structures and cultures. And that's really cool. And that's cool to see a company make that about face because I think there are much better and a more positive influence on the lives of developers now because they've made those decisions. And it seems like those are also financially successful de decisions for them. So that's good. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you picked up a number of things there that, that sort of suggest you're optimistic about the future anyway. Yeah, I would say so. I think, I mean, I think we, we've had, I don't think a great run with the front end stack on the web. Uh, I don't really, I really don't think it's any better. I think there's some interesting stuff there, but I would very much cherry pick certain things that I think this is valuable. This is valuable. This is valuable. Yep. The rest of this, I would just throw it out. <laughs> I don't think it's valuable. I, I don't think it's useful. I don't think it makes anybody's life better, but yeah, I would say in general, I think those things are, are are useful. I think that generally I am positive. I like I like that we have finally maybe everybody sort of gets that open sharing of technology and knowledge and and stuff like that helps helps everybody and building on different platforms helps people and and makes it our lives better uh, as developers just in general. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round. Now we're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Yes, I think so. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Oh, gosh. I think a career is a good question because I never had a plan to have a career, really. I just sort of ended up in it. It's like, I don't know. I guess I could do this. And I, I really got lucky. <laughs> I got lucky because I happened to be okay at doing something that people wanted to pay me a decent salary yeah. for. So I got very lucky. And I, I want I, I, a side note among many, uh, a side note is that I think that we have to remember how lucky we are to be in this career uh, because uh, there are many people who aren't and don't have the same optimistic outlook in their uh, career and their sort of industry that, that I think we still do. Um, but what attracted it into it? I always liked messing around with computers. I, I just always did. I, I was attracted to them. I found them interesting. I liked the way they 
there's something very, I mean, old 8-bit systems like Apple II and the Commodore 64 and and the the Texas Instruments 994A and stuff like that. Those were really special to me because there was something sort of indescribably magical about these things, these sort of like creative engines that you had. And that was what was, that's always been what's been really cool to me about this stuff, about this technology has been, has been really making things with them, accomplishing them. So what I make with it is what really drives me. And so, you know, I played a lot of video games for sure, but I wasn't, I didn't really get into programming until later. And I got into programming because I wanted to build certain kinds of things. I wanted to build uh, web-based applications. And I didn't know how to do that without learning how to say program in PHP in order to do certain things like store stuff in the back end so that it was persistent that like, okay, so I need to learn this so that I can do that. And I taught myself because I was interested in doing that. And I just got sort of excited about the idea of building this sort of like logic system and, and stuff, but, but something I can interact with that's really attractive to me. So building a thing that somebody can do something with is very attractive to me. So, you know, that showed up in a few different ways. I, I did graphic design, I did fanzines, I did stuff like that. And it was all pretty, mostly computer based. And then it was websites. And then it was, you know, trying to build applications that you interacted with through the web. And that's really where, how I got there. But it's, it's always been about, for me, it's been this mixture of like, of some interest in the logic and the building, you know, machines, little sort of virtual machines that run in, in the computer. That's always had an appeal to me, but that cross with that is the, the sort of sensory stuff, the interaction with it, the sound and just watching things work and things like that. So, and that, like I said, that goes all the way back to using old eight bit computers, the first home computers uh, that were released on the market. And I always was attracted to those and found them really interesting. So that, that is really, I think the root of it. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? It's really about the people that you work with. And I think this is a thing and I, I probably people have told me these things and then I sort of formed it myself. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, it, am I, is it the best career advice was stuff, something that I came up with that seems kind of silly, but I think at the end of the day that I think the best advice I ever formulated or came out, you know, figured out was that you really don't want to have any loyalty to any given technology or brands or companies or anything like that. And the only thing that you really have loyalty for is people. And that's the only thing you should reserve your loyalty for. Everything else really doesn't matter. It's just, it's like, what kind of, are you, you know, what kind of hammer is it? And if you find a better hammer, that's great. And if you don't need another hammer, don't use it. But none of those things really matter. Don't, don't get stuck on, on any of that stuff. Don't get worried about you're going to miss like a particular technology or what have you. So, you know, not being loyal to that stuff, that's one of the biggest things. And so, yeah, then, then the next question will be, or is, uh, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? 
Again, the same thing is I cannot think of somebody said, well, Ed, you know, if you do this, you'll be successful. Like, oh, you should get into plastics, t- you know, invest in that. You know, nobody's ever told me those kinds of things. Or, or they probably have, but I just ignored it because I don't like it when people give, try to give me advice. I feel like it's kind of arrogant most of the time. Uh, but uh, Or I just blow it off because I think I know better, which probably is not the case. The worst habits that I've ever seen and that I see lots of people engaging in that I think is actively detrimental to your career is being focused on um, constantly learning new technologies and one, not just the learning part, but the application of new and unproven technologies to any kind of production systems. I think it is a terrible mistake, and I think we that it, I see so many people doing this, and I used to be this way too. And I've written systems that then I was then I'm stuck with, and I can't find any documentation for because there nobody is around to you know the people have long moved on and and passed on to other things and, and are doing other stuff. And I'd say the biggest the the worst the worst habits that I've seen. So it, but it seems very common is this, what I kind of call fashion driven development where you're like, well, you know, what we should do is it's obvious that what we're supposed to use TypeScript now and we're supposed to write our stuff in Node.js, but in TypeScript and we'll write all our backend in that and we'll use a MongoDB system and we'll, we'll do all those things and then we'll write it all. And then our front end will all be in React because that's what people are supposed to use now. Now, three years ago, we might've done that in Angular 1, but of course that's not what you're supposed to use now. You're supposed to use other things. And, um, oh wait, well now it's React Native, so maybe we should use that. and, and I think it's not bad to learn about new things. And in fact, it's actually a really good thing to learn about new things. So it, and what I'd say is the mistake people make is that they, they are liberal in learning new things, but they are also liberal in using those things in production. And I think the exact opposite should be the case for production. You should be extremely conservative of the technology choices you make when you're actually building things that need to do things for people. It's one thing if it's something that you're the only person affected by it, but when you're the rest of your team and all the people who are going to use your system are impacted by it, you really want to make conservative choices, I'd say. And sometimes that's not very exciting. It is, it's really exciting to be, to talk about new stuff and to be, that's great. Build something that nobody cares about with that and learn about it, but be very, very careful and only use tested stuff for that. And there's nothing wrong with using like, you know, a Microsoft SQL server database or things like that. There's nothing wrong with it. It works. It works great there, you know, or use Postgres or use whatever, but, you know, relational databases have been around four years and are still getting used and they still work pretty well. Right. So I think oftentimes we're looking for new tools when we already have those tools and we, they're not any better. They're just different. So that's the worst stuff I've seen. And people advise that you, well, you should always be learning new stuff. I think you have to keep kind of learning new stuff. But I think you have to be very conservative about deploying those kinds of things. And that's that's the thing I think almost everybody misses. Okay. And if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? 
I would start out with learning Python. That would be the first thing I would do. And I would use that. Yep. But that's because it's now and it's not then, right? It's indeed. It's just different, right? Um, Python's a really good slam dunk choice for a lot of different things. And I feel pretty strongly about it as a uh, scripting language and as a backend technology, uh, you know, sort of primary central part of your stack. It doesn't do everything great, uh, but it works really well in a lot of ways. And it's a very easy language to learn. But, you know, I started 20 years ago or more. And at the time, I think I also made a good choice there when I learned PHP. Um, And I don't think PHP is a bad technology. I just think that if I was doing it now, I would probably pick Python because I actually, but I actually have found that I think I like Python better. And also I think that it is so widely used that it is very appealing and applicable to lots of different things. So I, I would say do that is good. But the other thing I would probably spend less time on is I spent a, I spent a lot of time just doing PHP stuff for quite a while and really only focusing on that one stack. And I think I would have tried to learn more technology sooner. Like I would have said, okay, well, okay, I know how to do this in Python, right? I've learned this. Well, but I should learn how to do some things in some other stacks too, just to prove to myself that I can learn other languages and that I can make those have that mobility. And it took me a while to get there. And I would probably knowing what I know now, I would, I wouldn't have stuck myself on that because I, for a while I was pretty scared to go away from PHP. And I think now I'm much less, I I'm like, ah, I can probably figure it out. It's all web development. <laughs> it's fine. So I'll probably figure yeah. it out. So I think that's one of the biggest things is that, yeah, I I mean, nowadays I would probably pick Python. And then the second thing would be uh, I would be more actively uh, diverse in the kinds of things I tried to learn about. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I am focused on being happy in my day-to-day life. And I don't think that there's anything more important than that, to be honest. Now, for some people, (laughs) for some people that might seem, well, that's kind of trite. I mean, just being happy. If you've struggled with that, it becomes a much more important thing. And maybe, maybe happy isn't even the right word, being sort of at peace with it and feeling good about it, not feeling rushed and not, you know, just taking care of myself and being emotionally healthy and having enough money to take care of myself and to be okay. Yes. And that's, that's really all I I'm worried about. Um, and I feel like I'm in a good place right now with that. And I, I hope I get to work where I am for a long time. I don't have any intention of leaving. Uh, I'm not seeking out other employment, uh, because I, I'm like, no, this is really good. This is a really good place to be. And so career objectives, that's it. And I'm not sure I ever had another career objective. I'm not sure I ever did, but this one seems even more important now. I've realized that that's that's by far the most important thing. Okay, and everything everything else is kind of gravy and sort of serves that. Yeah. And what's the number one non technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I would say my ability to to speak in front of people and actually kind of enjoy doing it. <laughs> 
And I say that because there are some things like day to day. I think my ability to write decently and my ability to verbally communicate what I'm trying to say, I think that works pretty well. And I think about that stuff a lot. So I think those two things are really helpful on a day-to-day basis. But I will say in terms of advancing my career, in terms of getting, having more options and having, you know, being able to find positions relatively easily, it was based on going out and speaking at conferences and writing about technical stuff. And that really made a huge difference in my, in my career because my ability to speak about things and write about things. And I hopefully semi-intelligent and useful way really, really set me up uh, in terms of being in a good position uh, career wise in terms of finding positions and being able to find work and, and things like that. Now, I didn't really set out. I wasn't like, well, this will put me in a better position to find work. I did it because I wanted to probably because I sort of it made me feel good. Like I wanted to seem I, I, a little bit of ego stroking, you know, at least a little. But I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being able to get up in front of people and and help people and help them with the knowledge that I have. I like sharing that stuff. So it wasn't necessarily intentional, but I would say that made the biggest difference in my career and set up my abilities and the flexibilities that I've had. It was really all based in that. Okay. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I'm glad that I get a chance to work on different kinds of things. And there are some periods where for a few weeks I'll be working on backend stuff in one language. And then, you know, another week I'll be doing something else and I'll be doing some, you know, some days I'll do a little bit of like server management and then I'll also do some uh, front end development and things like that. And I get a chance to do those different kinds of things. And I think that's really good. And then I'd say the other thing that keeps me excited is not doing it work. Um, so in my spare time, actually, for the most part, trying to kind of avoid it. Or if I do do things that are different than what I normally do, like I do, um, I, I write music mostly on a computer, so I'm not getting away from it and releasing that stuff. That's been really exciting. And I've actually gotten into going back to doing sort of web design stuff again, um, with, uh, like a new website for, for new music I'm releasing. And I've just been working on that recently. And that was actually really exciting because I don't get to do stuff like that so much anymore uh, because I'm not, not really people don't want to pay me for my design skills. I, they, they're the internet's expectations of design have far passed me by many years ago. Um, but uh, given enough time, I can usually shotgun something together. That's decent. And, uh, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, you know, uh, so, so that's really cool. And it's just something that, Hey, it's, it's really exercising a different, a different muscle. And I think that's really cool. And it keeps it fresh. That way I'm, I get, I don't get burned out. The things I worry the most about are, I like getting burned out, not wanting to do these things anymore. And, you know, just being unhappy, like fundamentally not happy with where I am. And 
that's what I worry about. So keeping myself energized is kind of like balance. It's really all about balance and not spending too much time in one thing really helps me a lot. And you may have partly answered this, but what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Uh, other than just lazing around on my sofa and watching TV <laughs> or, you know, it's easy. There's lots of stuff to watch nowadays. Yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, lots of movies and, and things like that and good TV. Uh, but but I'd say the biggest thing is, is probably if, if I, I were to, you know, measure that would be you know, being a, I, nowadays they call them music producers. I don't know if that's it because I don't know that I qualify as a musician. I don't really play any instruments. I just really tell a computer how to make noise and it does the noises that I want sometimes. So that's what I do. And so I kind of wasn't as into it for a while, but then in 2016, I released an album and then I'm doing another six song EP now. And I'm doing that sort of as a collaboration with a friend of mine who does um, a visual kind of generative, he, he'd call it kind of glitch art or uh, which is kind of, he has this term uh, that he uses with it and he, he kind of uses a little tongue in cheek and it feels a little grandiose, but calls it neo suprematism, which suprematism is that you saw in the late 1800s, I think early 1900s with a lot of Russian painters where they would, you, they tended to use like very basic shapes, like circles and triangles and stuff like that. So go look it up on Wikipedia suprematism. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Right. And so he does a lot of work like that, but it's, it's also like, pixel slash glitch art stuff that he uses, you know, like the processing language with to do some generative work. But then it's sort of based in this idea of suprematism and the, the basic shapes and things like that. So he's calling it neo suprematism. I don't think he's the first person to ever use that term. So, but, but yeah, he uses it as humbly as possible. Uh, and so that has been really cool and really inspiring because his, work in that medium has really kind of gotten me going in and inspired my work in in music and sound and that's been really cool and uh so i i felt really special about that and i i think that's away from technology that's that's kind of the big thing that i do i'm not a like hey let's go whitewater rafting or something like that that sounds terrible to me but <laughs> uh so that's the kind of stuff I do, yeah. right? And I, I was—I've always been interested in that kind of music and kind of, you know, a little bit darker kind of stuff. So things like that. So it, that appeals to me aesthetically, and uh, and so yeah, that's what I'm into, and it's good. It's been really satisfying to get back into that, and uh, it's been really good. And Ed, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? A final piece of career advice. I think the main thing that I that I think I would encourage people to think about and focus on is is really fundamentally thinking about what are the things that that makes them happy. Not necessarily like jumping up and down with joy and and being super excited, but what are the things that fundamentally sort of you find satisfying? And what are those things? And I think making sure that those things are present in the work that you do, I think is really important. And what I found is that there's a lot of things that you can get excited about, but that tends to be kind of a fleeting thing. 
long-term things that are satisfying and sort of, and make you happy for fundamentally happy. I think those are things about people and relationships and building things that are useful and that sort of change people's lives in one way or another. Maybe not the biggest impact that you can imagine, but fundamentally make things easier for people. That that stuff is pretty special. And those are the things that I think you could walk away from and, and you could say, I'm really glad I did that. That really, that I feel like I did something positive for other people. And yep. I think those are the things that are most fundamental. And it's not about keeping up with technology or trying new things or stuff like that. Those things can be very exciting, but they can also, it can be very anxiety inducing. And so, finding stuff that works and keeping with it and not being, not being afraid to learn new things because you you always are going to. And that I think is a requirement of this kind of career. You're going to have to learn different things because there will be times where you're, you've, you said, I really like this technology. I'm going to learn it. And then you cannot get a job in it in five years, right? It just goes away, right? Nobody wants to hire anybody who, who does that anymore. And that, that's just the nature of the business. So, I think there's sort of like lower level fundamental things about how do I learn? What are the things that make me happy? And how do I seek those out in sort of positive ways and in ways that are fulfilling and, and long-term make me happy? And I think those are, those are the things to seek out. Sometimes it's hard to know what those are and you're going to, it's going to change over every day and week and year of your life, it's going to change, but you just keep working on it and trying to figure it out as best you can. And that's, that's, I think all you can do. And I think everything else will probably work itself out one way or another. And finally, Ed, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? You know, I haven't been writing or talk about it stuff as much, but you can find me on Twitter as uh, Funkatron, F-U-N-K-A-T-R-O-N. And I still have stuff written there, but I haven't posted for a while on Funkatron.com, which, you know, so there's still stuff there I think is valuable, things about uh, mental health and tech and things like that. Uh, The organization Open Sourcing Mental Illness is at O-S-M-I-H-E-L-P.org. So that's osmihelp.org. And my name isn't that common. So it's relatively easy to find me. So, uh, you know, if you just look up Ed Finkler, most of the time you'll find me, uh, if you're looking on LinkedIn or whatever, things like that. So I'd say Twitter is a good way to get a hold of me. Uh, and then if you're, if you're super, super, super interested and want to know about music stuff or other things I do, um, the project I'm doing now is called dead agent D E A D agent, A G E N T. So you can check that out, deadagent.net, or it's you can find it on like Apple Music or you know Spotify or things like that. So if you're real interested in that, you can do that. But yeah, I'd say if you look up Funkatron or you look up Ed Finkler, that's where you'll find me. Great. Well, make sure most of those, or if not all of them, are included in the show notes. So right yes, people should be able to find you quite easily. Ed, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, you too, Phil. It's been great. A quick thank you again to my guest on today's show for sharing their career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com 
slash e and then the number of today's episode. Now that there are three new episodes of the show every week, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss out. And don't forget to join the new IT Career Energizer Community Group in Facebook. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great to hear from you and to learn about your own career journey, your successes, opinions and thoughts on the future of the industry. Thanks for supporting the show. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.